Hello, and welcome to the Shingo Principles Podcast, the podcast for those interested in building a culture of continuous improvement and sustainable organizational excellence. I'm your host, Mary Price, with the Shingo Institute, a program in the John M. Huntsman School of Business at Utah State University. The Shingo Principles Podcast is our way of inviting you to join some of the interesting conversations we have with thought leaders and practitioners around the world experienced in transforming cultures using principles, systems, and tools. I look forward to hearing what you think, and please be sure to subscribe. In this episode of the Shingo Principles podcast, we hear from Bruce Hamilton with the Greater Boston Manufacturing Partnership, a Shingo licensed affiliate and Shingo examiner, as he shares insights on how seeking perfection creates an environment that guides individuals and organizations to higher levels of enterprise excellence. It accomplishes this in two ways. First, it forces focus on the ideal of perfection. What does it mean for the customer and for the providers? Second, it encourages reflecting on the means by which we seek the ideal. As the flywheel of continuous improvement, this fundamental principle not only sustains improvement, but can also accelerate it. The flywheel, however, is not a perpetual motion machine. At different stages in an organization's transformation to enterprise excellence, the flywheel must be primed and nurtured against the natural resistance to change and competing priorities for time and resources. Key topics covered in this podcast include offering a basic explanation of the perfection, breaking down the search, describing the natural resistance to the principle seek perfection at various stages in an organization's journey to excellence. Thank you, Bruce, for being here today with us, and I'll turn the time over to you. Thank you, Mary. Thank you. So, uh, yes, and uh, greetings, where whatever time zone you may be in, greetings. Uh, it's uh, getting close to lunchtime here in uh, Sharon, Massachusetts, snowy Sharon, Massachusetts. So, uh, but I'm very happy to be with you today. So I've chosen uh, a topic uh, to talk about seek perfection is the flywheel of continuous improvement. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with the Shingo model, um, you'll know that uh, the Shingo model is based upon 10 fundamental principles. And one of those principles is seek perfection. The definition is given here Perfection is an aspiration not likely to be achieved, but the pursuit of which creates a mindset and culture of continuous improvement. And I'll not continue with the rest of the definition, but there's a, a very uh, concise definition. Uh, the intent of, the, of this particular uh, principle, however, is a lot deeper than can be expressed in just a few words. So I've chosen to, um, to borrow from a couple of uh, uh, folks who are uh, smarter than me, certainly, uh, in addition to the uh, Mr. Shingo and the Shingo Institute, uh, got a, a few, a little bit of thinking from Isaac Newton and uh, Jim Collins, and I'm going to talk about those uh, today. All right. So we're starting out with this definition: seek perfection, and I want to add a little bit to that. So uh, we say it's, a, it's an aspiration not likely to be achieved. So I'm, I'm borrowing here from an organization called TSSC, 
wonderful organization that I've had the privilege to work with as a customer as a project site many years ago. And I'm showing a model here, a vision of the ideal as it uh, was referred to by my teacher, Hajima Oga, Oba. Um, as he was saying, it's not what we uh, can do, it's what we should do. So there is an ideal expressed here, uh, both for the customer and also for the employees. A big focus on human development. Uh, this, is, this particular graphic is not mine. It's borrowed from Toyota Production System Support Center, a wonderful organization. And these arrows indicate uh, some change. So we're starting with a current condition at the bottom. Whatever that current condition is, uh, you know, could be pretty bad, could be pretty good, but there's always an opportunity to be better. So we're aiming for uh, a definition of customer satisfaction. You may recognize some of these things if you're familiar with the Toyota production system. And then a equally important, maybe more important, focus on human development. Uh, creating an, an environment that's favorable for improvement is a really big deal, which of course is a big part of the Shingo uh, model as well. Many small changes for the better, okay? That's what this is. Everyone, every minute, every day. That's something that struck me uh, 25 years ago when I first saw that, I said, yeah, that's kind of what we're trying to do here. We aspire to perfection, but ultimately it involves getting a whole lot of people involved. And, uh, and that's the challenge. So sometimes we can see this ideal, we see it, we say that this is really, really something that we would like to attain, but how do we do this? So now I'm going to turn to Jim Collins, okay, to the, the flywheel, okay, so, uh, you know, Jim Collins, incredible thinker, and uh, I think this is one of his more uh, important concepts, the idea of the flywheel effect. Basically, you know, that, that there's no such thing as overnight success, that, that uh, we work uh, and labor for many years, uh, and uh, and try every day and little by little, uh, we turn this flywheel, we create some change. And then at one point it's all suddenly perceived to change. We say, ah, here we are, uh, we are, uh, we've created something miraculous. And but I think it's a wonderful idea, this idea of the flywheel. Um, but I'm gonna just take a, with no disrespect to Jim Collins, uh, after, you know, 35 years, in the business of trying to create change, I'm mindful of the fact that this flywheel, you know, first of all, um, it's not, not a perpetual motion machine. You know, you can get it turning uh, and there's absolute, I agree with it, the, uh, that part of the principle exactly, but then you need to keep it turning. It's not perpetual motion. And uh, so I'm not sure there's ever a point where you break through, uh, where you leave the, you know, leave the force of gravity and you can, you know, have perpetual motion. I think as leaders for change, we have to be mindful of all, at all times of this thing, which Mr. Shingo loved to quote. And he would call that, um, oh, excuse me, I wanted to borrow from Newton here. I forgot. So this is Newton's first law. And it's, it's about momentum. If you, your high school science may, may remind you that in order that uh, it, this, uh, this wheel, it's just going to stay in motion. Okay, I'm gonna stay in motion or it may not be in motion at all, but most things are in motion. Question is, uh, the key point here is, uh, it'll continue in the same motion unless acted on by an unbalanced force. So the reality is when we are trying to seek perfection, 
we're often faced um, we're often faced with this effect, the status quo. Somebody's turning the wheel in the opposite direction. You know, we're not inheriting a system where things are, are static. We're inheriting a, a system which may be headed exactly in the opposite direction that we would like to achieve. And we don't, when we're seeking perfection, we don't give enough attention to what those conditions are. So this is looking at Newton's first law. Uh, we have to recognize that unbalanced force and that unbalanced force is the status quo, all right? And depending upon how quickly that wheel is turning in the opposite direction, or perhaps it's actually turning faster and faster, we have different conditions in order to seek perfection. So I'm gonna draw on another of Newton's laws here, the third law, pretty important law. And that is that for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Anybody who's involved in change is familiar with this. It's not just in physical science, it's in social science as well. When we try to make change, we try to create big change, we often can get big pushback. So I've created a couple lists here for in a force field analysis. Uh, and you know, on the left hand side is accelerators. Uh, so I've listed a bunch of them, you could probably list some more. Uh, it likes to have a we like to have a burning platform, like why are we doing this, we having customers involved and telling us that we need to change, that's important. Hearing from somebody we trust, peer endorsement, having management involved, we have employees involved, having time for training and practice, all of those things are moving us forward. If you can imagine, all of those forces are turning the flywheel. We're gonna try and get that flywheel turning. And down there in the upper left-hand corner, you may recognize uh, from uh, McGregor that is X and Y, theory, we have the employees who are giving, are giving, we want to give back to the world. We have a frame of mind that basically people are good and want to contribute to the world. Okay. That's great. And that's what we're aiming for. But on the other side of the coin here, we have the inhibitors. We have, you know, short-term thinking, which has to do with oftentimes with financial measures. Our, our solution to problems is just having extra of everything, extra material, extra machine, extra labor, we're not very smart about uh, this whole process. We're ignorant. We don't, we don't know what we mean when we talk about continuous improvement uh, and the possibility of perfection. We don't have a context and we also have biases. We have biases that some people are smarter than others, uh, that's not, that uh, people at certain strata in the organization care more than others. We have the theory X, we have the theory of people don't really want to give back. They're selfish. They're just here for themselves. You know, Mr. Shingo wisely pointed out that there's a little bit of both of those in everybody, in everybody. And it's management's job to uh, accentuate the positive, to bring out the why part of us. All right. So, so um, all of these things, organizational model, even the way your organization is laid out, makes it hard for us to uh, move that needle, to move the status quo. And that's the, that's the flywheel. We wanna get that flywheel moving so that we are ch achieving a, a new status quo. But it, it is not a matter of starting from zero. Uh, there are precious few greenfield sites that I've ever worked in. Most, of, most sites that are working in, we have a huge amount of unlearning to do, unlearning. And that's harder, much harder to, learn, to unlearn a bad golf swing than to learn a good one in the first place. That's a challenge. And, and why do I choose Newton's third law here? Because if we wanna create changes, 
we have to be thinking in terms of how if, if this idea, if we uh, make a big change, we get a big pushback. If we make a small change, we may get a small pushback. So that's part of that third law. Now I'd like to turn to two as important aspects of seek perfection from the Shingo model. There are these things we refer to as behavioral benchmarks. They're aspects to help us better understand how we would approach this idea of seeking perfection. The first one is structure. We approach in a structured way. In other words, you don't go from zero to 100 miles an hour in a second. You have to decide what to do first, second, and third. And the other is, as we make these changes, recognize that we have these mindsets, and I've just been talking about them. They're paradigms, they're views of the world which have been established over a long period of time, and they're not easy to change. Well, you know, it turns out that the practice of these many small changes every day help to change the mindset as well as the structure. So I have a structure here, and it's based upon that model from TSSC that I showed you earlier, where organizations start out in a condition, let's say, kind of chaotic. And you know, maybe you've known an organization like that. I worked for one like that. Uh, things were hard. Every day there was new surprises, and then there were ones that I knew were going to happen, and, and they did. So there's a structure, there's a, a way to go about the process. We need to approach stability first. It's you can't really standardize unless you have stability. And this, so as we're approaching perfection, we ought to approach it in a structured way. And you know, this is a, this is a science, this is the technical science, uh, the, te the technical side of what you might call continuous improvement. And as we do this, I'm showing it as a stairway because as we do this, what seemed impossible yesterday now seems possible. That we're developing our most valuable resources, our employees. They're taking many small steps. And as they develop, we're developing our organization. So the mindset and the structure are two sides of the same coin. So here's an important part here. Newton's second law says that acceleration is equal to force over mass. In other words, you have a really big flywheel, you're gonna to have to have an awful lot of force to turn it. So the, the, uh, the, the flywheel, size of the flywheel has to do with the size of the change that we try to make. It would be better to have many people making small changes. So many small forces making many small changes very little pushback that way, and you get everybody involved. Uh, so Newton's, Newton's second law is really important. Notice those little red steps I've drawn in there uh, in between the blue. That's many small changes for the better. We learn through practice. We learn by doing, and it's really not practical. There are those odd times where we may have a huge breakthrough, but the reality is that those breakthroughs, just like Jim Collins said, they're part of turning that flywheel a little bit at a time. Then all of a sudden, boom, we have this thing that we think is a breakthrough. The reality is it's many people involved. Many hands make light work, as my mother used to say. So I've got a method here that I think is very valuable. This is actually comes from a book called uh, Managerial Engineering by Ryuji Fukuda. It was the very first book published by Productivity, and it has to do with structure and changing minds. Uh, it says identify reliable methods. That means let's figure out what those, what that structure is. What are those things that the best companies in the world are doing? And then create an environment where people can actually practice and then 
keep everyone practiced. This is these last two things represent 90% of the success to creating, uh, uh, to seeking perfection. It's more or less a management responsibility to create that favorable environment and keep everyone practiced. Those are not so easy. They're not automatic. We don't just start the flywheel and think that somehow or other it keeps spinning. We're working on this every single day. We're changing mindsets in a structured way. So the paradox is that we're seeking perfection, but we're seeking it in very small pieces, very small bits. This is the way uh, that the most successful companies uh, seek perfection. So this is kind of my final definition here. This is my view of seeking perfection. Uh, and I would like to kind of dwell on one word, the idea of sustain. So if we get this flywheel spinning and it's spinning at a constant rate, that's essentially saying we're sustaining, okay? We're not actually improving at all. What we wanna do is get that flywheel spinning faster and faster. And when you gain momentum, guess what? You're accelerating. Acceleration is what we need. The reason we need that is the flywheel is not a perpetual motion machine. And if we continue at a, at a steady rate, sooner or later, the forces that are operating against that flywheel begin to overtake it. Maybe some of you have encountered that in your own work. I certainly have. My idea, what I've, I, over the years, I've decided that seeking perfection, as I've said here, is more and more people solving more and more problems faster and faster. The ideal is to get that flywheel spinning as fast as we can and never stop. Or as we say at GBMP, everybody, every day. So that kind of concludes uh, my presentation. I tried to cover a big topic in uh, 20 minutes and uh, I've come close come close. And uh, I think I've covered all of uh, Newton's, uh, Isaac Newton's laws as well. So now uh, I'm happy to open this up to questions. Just want to let you know that uh, GBMP has workshops coming up, uh, Shingo workshops. We love these workshops. Uh, just I just finished one yesterday. Uh, and uh, I've put a couple of them in red because those are ones I'm teaching. So I'm being selfish here. I hope that I'll maybe see some of you at these workshops. We still have open slots on for enterprise alignment and build excellence uh, on uh, in, in February coming up. All right. So Mary, I think that uh, we might have some time for questions now, would we? Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much, Bruce. Um, there's a few questions um, in the Q&A. Uh, all right, I wanted see. to answer a couple of those myself. Um, we are going to share the recording with everybody that is registered for the event. So we'll expect an email later today with that information. We also had a question about the slides. Um, if you wanna contact Bruce directly, then he can share those slides with you. We have one question that's in the chat, Bruce. So I'm gonna go ahead and read that to you since it is not in the Q&A section. All right. Um, they ask, how do we build team resilience while going through organizational change, especially now during a pandemic? Yeah, so uh, there's, no, there's no single answer for that, but uh, you know, stress is, stress is necessary for change. Uh, there, I've said many times there's no change without friction. You should anticipate that friction. And, uh, but I think the most important thing when you're going through this organizational change is to have, be a, have a clearly defined sense of purpose and have people working to that purpose. 
reality is people are pretty resilient. You know, we've been through an awful year, an awful year. And yet I would, I would say that when I speak to organizations, almost to without exception, they say we, they feel stronger this year than in the past. So I don't think the fact that you're faced with this adversity, uh, that we're all faced with this adversity right now, is something that, uh, that actually is pulling people apart. It's actually drawing us together. All right, so let's see. I've got a couple of, uh, uh, I've got, uh, I'm not gonna mention names. I got one here from Edward. Would you agree that a major uh, inhibitor is an operational budget? Well, yeah, I mean, when people tell me they don't have money or they don't have time, um, they're really saying, we don't have money for this. Or we don't have time for this. We don't really understand yet what the benefit is. So articulating this idea of perfection uh, that because that's one of the inhibitors, but it's actually there's there's something deeper than that. Once organizations have discovered the benefit, they have time. Money is not an object. They realize that uh, that when that flywheel is spinning, that it's better for them. But certainly at the beginning, having some proof of concept is very important because yes, so yes, it is an inhibitor. It's part of it's part of our whole financial uh, model. For example, training is an expense. We develop employees, that's an expense. That doesn't look good on the books. It's really an investment. We're investing in our employees, but you know, it's easier. We can buy a machine and spend a uh, million dollars on it, but we don't want to spend any money to train people to operate the machine because that's an expense. One's an asset, the other's an expense. So I would agree, Edward. Yeah, it is. And you need to kind of uh, identify uh, when you're going to be making that expense to, to be able to articulate the benefit that you're going to get. Uh, how do you address apathy from the line workers towards change? This comes from Edward. Okay, you've got a couple Edwards here. Yes, so not knowing uh, about a particular site, uh, um, I, I think that apathy is, uh, that's, this, uh, that's this model here. Mr. Shingo said it's management. Uh, if, it, if workers are apathetic, then management needs to be creating the volition. He said volition is a number one thing for management to do. Show passion yourself. You know, all this discussion I hear about employee engagement. Uh, yes, it's important, but too little, too little discussion about executive engagement. So if the executives, the managers, are not involved, don't expect a whole lot of excitement from the employees. They've been down this road before. You know, uh, one of my favorite quotes about uh, continuous improvement uh, comes from, uh, um, I forget the first name, uh, Roger Milliken from uh, who uh, uh, passed recently, but was, uh, um, you know, they were the first Baldrige Prize winner and uh, still an excellent company. And he was asked uh, about continuous improvement. He said, the three biggest obstacles to continuous improvement are top management, middle management, and frontline management. So, so uh, I think when I see apathy in workers, I need to take a look at the person they're working for. We need to kind of look up the chain. Should we seek perfection or, I'm looking at another one here, there's quite a few questions. Should we seek, this is from uh, Guru, thank you. Should we seek perfection or progress, not perfection? That's a very good question, Goro. And this is why perfection is important. It's the ideal. And this is, this is one of the more challenging aspects of all of the Shingo uh, fundamental uh, principles 
is that they are ideals. We don't want to we we don't want to provide wiggle room. It's the fact that we may not seek perfection, as Mr. Oba said, it's what we should do, not what we can do. The minute you start to back off and decide decide what progress is, uh, you're looking for optimal solutions. And optimal is another word that worries me because optimal for whom? How do we make that judgment? As I said a couple of minutes ago, what happens when we we seek uh, improvement, uh, seek perfection? is that what seemed impossible yesterday suddenly seems possible through our learning. So no, I would say absolutely, we need to kind of enforce the, the importance of having the ideal. Otherwise, we have a finite type of challenge that we're trying to face. Good question though, very good question. Okay, um, here's from uh, Lutz. In Europe so far, I only met one Japanese company working with these principles, but I may still be fishing in the wrong pond. So, so Lutz, yeah, it's a good point. You know, uh, I, I'm, I live in the U.S. and I know that a lot of people think that everybody in the U.S. wears a cowboy hat, uh, but I don't. Uh, we're, we're quite a diverse group here in the U.S., as are the Japanese, and there are some really excellent Japanese companies, and there's some that are not very good either. So the ideas are not necessarily Japanese. A good deal of them have, you know, starting out with, uh, you know, uh, you know, the industrialization of the second industrial uh, revolution, the turn of the last century. Um, these are ideas that we've been building on for many years. Looking for the best companies uh, does not necessarily mean they're Japanese. I, I have a absolute admiration for the Toyota production system, for the ideals of the system, but I'm fully aware that Toyota itself struggles to meet these ideals. So there's a difference between what we're able to do and uh, what we should do. Okay, The ideals don't change even if for some reason we're not able to. Uh, but I would say, uh, let's uh, look up some Shingo prize winning companies. You've got some really good companies over there in Europe and uh, they would be a generally good companies to share with. I hope I'm not missing too many uh, questions here. Uh, they're kind of rolling by. Um, can you restate? Oh, someone has asked me if I could restate the three steps for managerial engineering. I wanted to off, offer that uh, if you were looking at the screen, anyone who would like the notes from this uh, presentation, just uh, send me an email at bhamilton at gbmp.org, and I'd be happy to provide the notes. Uh, but Mr. Uh, Dr. Fukuda's book, uh, Managerial Engineering, said, uh, identify reliable methods, uh, create a favorable environment. We like to call that a culture today, and uh, keep everyone practiced. Turns out for me, that was the hardest thing in the world. Just we got to just whether time, good times or bad, okay? Um, here's a, another one. What is your best recommendation on establishing a culture of five S? All right. So the culture that we're talking about, uh, you know, five S is a means to an end. Um, expressing an opinion here. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's an, it's a very important process. It creates stability, helps us towards standardization. It is not an end in itself. And I think confusing ends with means, and Mr. Shingo said this as well, can kind of get you into a funk where you're just focusing on a tool. So if you establish a culture where 
that's open where people are where their safety, uh, emotional safety, uh, where people feel supported, where they receive training, then that all of those things apply to workplace organization, uh, visual control, setup reduction. You can start start listing your tools off. It doesn't really matter. Bybes is a is one that we all know, but the the culture um, you know, doesn't come from the the tool per se. It's uh, the tool benefits from having a culture, and you know you probably have seen cultures where uh, people are told to clean up their area, and uh, they're punished if uh, you know they don't put things in a place where their supervisor tells them, and you know all of a sudden they're no longer the agents of change or the objects of change. So you can, if you have bad culture, you can take a wonderful process like 5S and you can just ruin it. Okay. So I don't, I would say, I, I don't think there is a culture of 5S. There's a culture in which 5S and other best practices can thrive. Um, so here's a question from Dan. What do you say to people that we believe we've been proved enough? Yeah, this is a frustration, uh, major frustration for me. Um, many times when we we are we uh, we get into a process of improvement, there's a, there is a burning platform. Maybe we're losing business. Maybe we we burnt we're bleeding cash. We have all kinds of things we need to to uh, we need to uh, change in order to make an improvement. And we band together, and then things get better. Uh, Mr. Shingo talked a lot about complacency. That that's an enemy. If we become complacent. Uh, you know, I think it was Hiroyuki Hirano uh, liked to say, uh, keep this mindset in mind that the current, the current process is the worst possible. Current system is the worst possible. Even if you've made a lot of improvement, keep reminding yourself that we can always do better. It is, but it is a natural tendency. The flywheel is slowing down. When people said we've improved enough, what that means is we're just going to keep that flywheel going at a constant motion. And let me tell you, that's disrespectful to your employees because you've said, yeah, we're done with improvement. We don't actually need any more. And what you get from that is less improvement. Here's a question from Kyle. Why do you experience as the most, what do you experience as the most common barrier to starting the flywheel moving? And how do you typically overcome that? You know, Kyle, I listed a whole bunch of conditions and no, or, no two organizations are the same. I think you need to, I listed, however, for some typical inhibitors. Uh, and, uh, but you need to take a look at the organization, the current state of your organization. For example, an organization that may have invested some time in total quality management back in the 70s or 80s, they're in a different place today than an organization who has done nothing. An organization that kind of has this idea of, the customer, the, the next process is customer is light years ahead of an organization that's totally siloed. So I think what you need to do uh, uh, is identify those barriers. I, 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 I drew that, uh, that force field analysis uh, as an example. Draw one for yourself. Think about things that are you need to move forward and then ask yourself the question, what's holding What's holding us back? What are the things that are holding us back? Uh, so I, I'd like to tell you that there's a miraculous formula, but sorry, no, there isn't. Okay, uh, this is from Syed. 
uh, during my change experiences as enterprise lean transformation consultant is that CEOs usually push for big changes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, I blame consultants for this. And I'm a consultant. Uh, and consultants, and this is because uh, consultants will like to tell management what they think. You know, managers expect, uh, they're expected to have big change. Uh, I think I'm, I may be wrong about this, but my recollection, recollection is that the average tenure of a CEO is three years. So he or she does not have a lifetime to be making change. And they're naturally impatient. And so they liked it. They liked huge events. They like the kind of thing where somebody's going to come in and we are just going to whip this place together. You know, um, let me just say that's baloney. Things don't, the flywheel does not change that way. That's what Jim Collins is trying to say. If it, it changes when many, many hands are, are, uh, are participating in the process. Okay, uh, Dan, Daniel, how do you measure small incremental improvements? Management wants to see results. How do you show that when starting the flywheel very slow at first? Yeah, good question. You know, um, when I say small improvements, it doesn't necessarily mean they have small effect, but I think it is important uh, even with small improvements to be demonstrating. So bringing management, uh, creating a, the, your case means promoting uh, and selling. You know, the first job, first job I was ever in was sales promotion. And I like to tell people when I got into operations that I felt like most of my time was promoting. So when something good happens, I like to let people see and let them know, but it is a challenge. But here's the thing, here's the thing. When you, those small, those small changes begin to multiply very quickly. If the culture is right, you know, if your culture is not right, you can't grow daisies out of a, out of a concrete sidewalk. You might get one daisy to grow, but if you, if you uh, provide the right culture, then many daisies grow and all those people are making improvements. So that the, and I think this is an idea, it's a concept which is very hard, I think for anybody, for any of us to accept at the beginning, somehow or other, the accumulation of all those small changes is highly significant. Uh, and if you are a change leader, it's your job to sell that, to sell that idea. Thank you so much for presenting today. And thanks to our listeners for joining in and for all of your great questions. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you're looking for additional educational opportunities or you would like to learn more about the Shingo model, please visit our website at shingo.org. Please remember to subscribe and to tune in to next time.